Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Well, as we continue through the I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John, today's message will apply broadly to all of us, but specifically to our graduates or to those who are embarking on a new journey, something of turning the page in life, something that uh, may not be what you anticipated, what you expected, but somehow here you are and you're starting a new journey. The scripture text is drawn from John chapter 14, verse 6, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, at the end of this statement that Jesus just gives, we find this is probably not only the most bold declaration in all of Scripture, but to some, this is the most offensive and highly uh, uh, troubling words that Jesus could ever say. Now, it's offensive to some because of the exclusive way in which Jesus says this. It's one thing for Jesus to declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because that can be parsed out in so many different ways, and we can look at that here in just a moment. But for him then to tack on to the end, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is Jesus' claim of exclusivity. In a world of inclusion, Jesus gives this claim of exclusivity to one factor in one area that everything else might have meandering, everything else might have little shades here of color and shades there, but this one thing, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, let's break down what Jesus is saying here. Now, in life, you're going to find that there are many ways, there are many roads, many paths, many paths in our world. Uh, There there are sidewalks, and there are roads, and there are dirt paths, and there are gravel paths, and there are uh, all kinds of different navigation ways and routes to get somewhere. You can go by plane, you can go by train, you can go by water. There's all kinds of different ways. And also, there are many different truths, true, true statements. There are true statements in politics. There are true statements in business. In life in general, there are just some good old-fashioned, these are good remedies or these are, these are good sayings. They are true statements. You don't have to have a relationship with God to be able to benefit from something that is true. There are true statements. It's been said that the best lies are about 95% true. They just have that one little thread of something that isn't right. And there are many lives. There are many lives. There's a life of discipline that we can pursue. There's a life of pleasure that we can pursue. The choice is ours. There is a life of academic pursuit, and there's a life of career and uh, a job path of, of uh, getting your hands involved in that which you really enjoy and you love to do. And then there is also this thing we know as a life of faith. So there are many different lives. And when we, when we really digest what Jesus is saying here, What we need to take away from today is that while there are many ways, there are many truths, true things, and there are many ways to live many lives, there is really only one true way to real life. And Jesus says, 
I am. I am the one and only true way to life. Now, this passage that begins in John 14 uh, doesn't start with verse 6. It actually starts in verse 1. But we have to go back to the previous chapter for just a moment to see who Jesus is saying this to. Because he says to him, the Bible says. So there is, uh, in John chapter 14, we're diving into an ongoing conversation. There's already a conversation happening that we see at the end of chapter 13. Now, just so you know, the chapters and verses were not originally in the Bible. We, we added those uh, about 300, 400 AD, something like that, when uh, translators started to try to make it easy, digestible chunks for us to read. And so it, this really would have been just written as, as one long uh, letter, one r- long book. And so if we look at the end of 13, chapter 13, we know that Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter is Jesus' most vocally devout disciple. And what I mean by that is he was always the first one to say, I'll do it, Lord, sign me up, I'll do it. Yeah, you want this done? I'll, I'll be your man. I will go to even the end for you. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And now this is Peter who is, is the rough rider. He's the one that's impetuant. He's always ready to just jump out there and then think about it later. He, he doesn't really think about the consequences of his actions. He just, just jumps out there. And you, there's a lot to respect about Peter. But Peter is now hearing some words of Jesus that are a little bit troubling in chapter 13, where he hears about Jesus impending death. He knows that Jesus is going to the cross. And then most troubling of all for Peter personally, someone of ego and someone of pride, is that Jesus said to him, yeah, Peter, you may say all these good things, you may talk a good game, but before I am betrayed, after I'm betrayed, before the night is over, before the, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. These are troubling words for Peter, someone who vocally was sold out. And in, in his own heart, he probably felt like he was going to surely make good on his promise to Jesus. He was going to follow through on what he said. I don't think that there was anything in Peter of a duplicity that he was really had a a hidden agenda or a, a motive that he wasn't going to follow through, but Jesus knew the frailty of the human heart. And so Jesus is having this conversation with Peter and it completely surprised him and in, in, in one way, really kind of offended Peter at the words of Jesus. And he was in need of a little bit of encouragement. Anybody ever been in the place you just need a little encouragement? And so having into chapter 13, we begin chapter 14 with these words. Now, here are the words, verses 1 through 3. Jesus speaking to Peter and in the, the ears of all the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this passage is so often read at funerals, and I've, I've used it many times. It's a beautiful passage, rightfully put in, in a funeral setting, because it's talking about my father's house. There's only one other place that, that, that we see in the book of John where Jesus mentions my father's house, and it's in reference to the temple, to the house of God, to the place of worship. And we know that my father's house is in the presence of God. And so Jesus is talking about heaven in a sense, because it is, heaven is God's space, it's God's place. But he's also referencing the only other time as the temple. And so when the first century Jewish mind would have heard in my father's house, and they would have thought about the temple where it was the place where heaven and earth would meet. 
That was when they brought their worship. When they came to worship God, it was as close to getting into the presence and getting into heaven as they possibly could be on this side of glory without passing over. So they recognized that there was something valuable and vital about worship. And Jesus is continuing that on into God's space or into heaven. And Peter just needed a little bit of encouragement. I can't think of any better encourager than Jesus who just hurt him with his words, not because he intended to, but because Peter's motive was a little bit off, because maybe there was some things in Peter that he didn't recognize or see about himself, but he needed this encouragement. And so Jesus is talking here to Peter initially, and then he transfers over and he's addressing another disciple whose name is Thomas. Now, when they hear this, they're hearing that I go to prepare a place for you and where I go, you will be also. I will come and receive you to myself. And what Jesus is saying to Peter, who is the most vocally devout disciple, the one always ready for the fight, the one always ready to to put himself out there, and to Thomas, who is the doubter, we know him as doubting Thomas, what Jesus is saying to both of them is, Hey, in my father's house, there's room for all y'all. Everybody has a place in my father's house. You all have, even people like you have a place where I'm going. I am preparing this place. And look at verse one. It's the entry point to the non-troubled heart. Somebody say that with me, the non-troubled heart. The entry point to the non-troubled heart is simply this, belief in God. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because you believe in God. You don't have to have a troubled heart. So the entry point into a non-troubled heart is belief. Now, Nelson Bible Dictionary defines belief as this, a confident attitude towards God involving commitment to his will for one's life and to place one's trust in God's truth. So what does it mean when I say I believe in God? It means that I have this reckless abandon that God has my best interest at heart, that God will do what is right by me. I have a confident attitude towards God and therefore I have laid the the right of myself and my life and all of my choosing down at the feet of Jesus because I place my trust in God's truth. So then Jesus, after calming the disciples and encouraging them, goes with this saying, this I am saying. Now, we've talked earlier in the series how the the term I am was first kind of seen at at the burning bush with Moses. When Moses said, who shall I say, God, that that has sent me to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And and God says, tell them I am that I am. This was actually God's way of, of identifying himself as separate from all the other gods. He is the great I am. And by Jesus saying, I am, is prefacing and and really earmarking for them that he was putting himself on the level of God. Jesus is saying, I am what you need. I am your healing. I am your deliverer. I am your provision. I am everything that you possibly could desire or need. That's me. But then he elaborates with these other statements, and this is one of them we'll look at today. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's been said that all roads lead to God. Anybody ever heard that? 
Well, all roads lead to God, pastor. What's it matter what religion I am? What's it matter what I believe? All roads lead to God. And of course, I have to admit, in a sense, that is absolutely correct theology. That is true. All roads do, in fact, lead to God. For the Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So, yes, in fact, that is correct. All roads lead to God. But we have that pesky little thing there, the judgment. Maybe you have been in a, uh, a line that is, is kind of being herded to, towards a certain place. We've been in some of the largest theme parks in America. And you, you see that there's like 10 lines or 20 lines sometimes. And everybody's crowding in and crushing in because all you want to do is get into the park. All you want to do is get where the fun stuff is. It's not outside the park. It's not standing in line in the hot sun. Where you really want to be is in the park. And I've heard these attendants say, it doesn't matter which line you choose, they all get you into the park. You've heard that, right? But you see one moving pretty fast up here and there's a handicapped wheelchair there and there's a stroller there. And you're like, I'm not going to those. I'm going to the fast moving line. Anybody else like me? Anybody else like me? Bad line chooser. I always choose the wrong line. I don't care if it's Kroger. Somebody in front of me at the fast-moving line in Kroger will be the one, the only one, that entire week that decided to pay by a check. People still do that. Like, debit card, same thing. No, check. Uh, yeah, can we call the bank, please, to make sure that there's funds? No, stop all that. I always get behind that person. And when I do, I realize it's the Lord trying to, just teach me a little lesson in patience. The Lord's been doing that a lot to me recently. The slowest drivers, I get behind them. Those whose blinkers are not working in that brand new car, I get behind them. The slowest lines, I get behind them. But we've been in these large environments where all we want to do is get into the park, have all the fun, and the attendant will say, all the lines lead to the same place. We've heard it, all roads lead to heaven. The problem is when you get to the front of the line, you have to have a ticket to get into the place. And Jesus has punched the ticket for all of those who say, it is me, O oh Lord, in need of prayer. I repent, I give myself to you. I place my trust in Jesus. We have a ticket. So all roads do in fact lead to God. But let's say that you wanted some directions. You want to get to that big theme park in Orlando, Florida. You know which one. I'm not going to say it, too controversial, but you know which one. Yeah, Universal Studios. Um, <laughs> let's say you want to get there from here. I could give you directions that would take you on the most beautiful scenic route out west in the north, northwestern states, and you could go all the way to the coast. You could get all the way to California. Then you could day trip for a couple of days, all the way down the coast. And then you could come back the beautiful Southwest into the West and you could get yourself to Florida and it would probably take you a good couple of weeks to make that happen. That's one way to get there. Is that correct? Can you get there from here going West and then South and then East? Can you do it? It's a way. I could also tell you a way to go from here immediately East go down the coast, see some beautiful scenery, see some wonderful little uh, villages and towns and great shopping, and then jump on over south and then get there. That, would that get you there? Yeah. That's another way. 
But really, if you ask me, Pastor Joe, what's the fastest way to get to Orlando? I'd say, oh, that's easy. The way is just jump on 75 South. Take it all the way down. You'll be there. That's the way. Now, some of us have taken the, the long route. Some of us choose often the long cuts in life, don't we? We go the detour and the scenic route. Really, when we're trying to get to the way that God has prepared for us. And Jesus wasn't oblivious to the different forms of religion of his day. He wasn't oblivious to the fact that there were lots of ways that people were trying to approach God. He understood that there were ways that people were trying that would really never even get them there. They want to go south and they start north. Like you, you, you maybe could get there, you go all the way around the globe. But he, was, he knew that there was all of these different ways and there are new ones being made up every single day. But what Jesus' bottom line was saying is, you can stop trying all the other paths, I am the way. Alcoholics Anonymous has uh, in their history a, a book called The Big Book. And this was the 12-step, the original 12-step program. It's been adapted uh, many different ways. Celebrate Recovery has really an, an adapt, adaptation of that wonderful uh, Christ-centered uh, program. But they have, what their big book was originally called was the way out. You can go look it up. You can find out what the original name was through their big book was the way out. So the way out of addiction. It's the way out of the problems that complicate our lives that we have seemingly no way to navigate around. But Jesus has a book and the book for Jesus could be called the way in, the way into abundant and eternal life, the way into the way, the truth and the life. This is how that we get to the father. The way in is through Jesus and he is the only way. Now, in 1968, there was a song that was rose to the top of the charts. It never actually made it to number one, but, but it was, was famous for years and probably because of the person who sang it. Frank Sinatra in 1968 introduced a song titled, My Way. Now let me just read a couple of the lyrics because some people in here probably heard these lyrics and you won't be able to hear me read them without singing them, but others, like maybe the grads, they never even heard this, so they won't be able to sing this. And now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived life to its full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more. I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exception. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much more, I did it my way. Now, interesting enough, this song became loathsome to Frank Sinatra. He went for a span of almost 10 years without even singing it. And when he did finally sing it live in 1984, he introduced it by saying, we've not sung this song in a while because it's become a big pain in my you-know-what. That's what he told the audience. I was doing a little sermon prep this week. And this song came to mind. And so I quickly Googled it up and I watched that rendition of Frank Sinatra. I watched him play it. So if anybody was walking past my office this week when I was doing my sermon prep, you'd, what in the world is the pastor doing listening to Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley? Because Elvis, he sung it too. Here's what I took away from watching these recordings. I walked away not convinced 
that they were convinced in their statements of I did it my way. I did it my way was written at a time where Frank Sinatra had really come to the end of a certain part of his career. Sure, he had a career after that, but the Rat Pack days were done. Big band and all the sound was changing and rock and roll had been throned as America's new sound. And so Frank Sinatra was given this song as an option and as an opportunity to, to write something that was just a little bit different. It was a transition time for him. It was really uncharacteristic of really the, the, the other kind of songs and genre that he did, the feel good. This was like a me, me, me. It's all about me. This is a song of American exceptionalism and it helped to, to, to create an engendering of the hearer that, yeah, that's right, I did it my way. This selfish pride, this ambition that I don't have any regrets or not, not very many, too few to even think about. It's this hubris that I did it my way. Sadly, it was reported several years ago that this is one of the most popular requested songs at funerals. I did it my way. And while the song's sentiment may be true in many cases, despite its loud and bold proclamations of self-satisfaction, you know what? It's deeply unfulfilling. It's really not very settling. Grads, there are a lot of paths that you can choose. There are a lot of ways in this world. Endless possibilities lay ahead of you. And, and let me tell you this, you can serve God in whatever vocation that you choose or that he leads you to. God needs ambassadors and representatives in education, in government, in politics, in media, in entertainment, in the home. And yes, God needs representatives even in the church. But regardless of where your calling and vocation takes you, just know this. Just remember there is only one way to lasting fulfillment in life. Jesus is the way. Acts chapter 9 calls the early Christians, references them as people of the way. I wonder, could we have that kind of label today? Could we be known as Christ followers as people of the way? If not, why not? We should be known as people of the way. How about the truth? Jesus said, that I am the truth, singular. Almost everyone I know, almost everyone I've ever come in contact with are on some kind of truth pursuit. They're on some kind of quest to know what is real versus what is fake. With the, the rise of AI, it's now difficult to even distinguish the difference. An entire uh, calamity is about to befall the, the music industry because the artists have a hard time differentiating their own voice over an AI computer-generated voice and people downloading music from an AI voice with their song and their lyrics sound just like them and can they even fight that in a court of law? Like it's really hard for them to even know that. And people really want to know what can I trust? What's real? What is the truth? And stringing a few true statements together does not make the truth. 
Just because the first four things you said is factual or true doesn't mean that the tale you're spinning, the, the tale you're telling is the truth. We know this well by the court of law. But, but you go into a, a, a court and you, you stand up on a stand to testify. You place your hand on the Bible. You raise your right hand and you say these words. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, why did they inscribe that? Why did they want you to say that? Because they don't want you monkeying around with the truth. They don't want you just twisting and turning a little bit, telling a little white lie and half-truths. They want everything you know and only what you know. Don't taint the jury with all kinds of other opinions that you have. Just tell me the truth. Pop culture tells us this. Live your truth. Live your truth. Be you. Be true to you. Live your truth and be true to you. Don't be true to God, be true to you. Be true to the wishy-washy, moody, ever-changing you. That's your truth. Well, actually, your truth is just something making of your own reality. I can hear your opinion. I can even sit down and sympathize with what you've been through and I can validate your experience. I can put my arm around you as a pastor and say, that is terrible, and that is, that is not good, and I, I really am sorry that that has happened to you, but it is not your truth, it's your opinion, the making of your reality, and we all have it. We all have opinions, brothers, preferences, we all have that. You are entitled to your opinion, but you are not entitled to your truth. The good news is that you and I have been offered access, get this, to ultimate truth by trusting in Jesus, by belief, by trusting in Jesus. And trust is something that we do almost without thinking. Trust is something we do almost without putting conception to it. For example, we go into a restaurant, we look at a menu, we order food just by the description out of a kitchen that we've never been in to even know whether it's been clean or what happened to the food preparation before it got to our table. And when it comes to our table, just because it smells good and looks good, with full blind trust, we gobble down that food, don't we? Only knowing a few hours later that something was wrong with that food because it hurt your belly. Hopefully that didn't happen. But we trust that what's being served has been checked out by the health department, local officials, and the people back there don't have nefarious intent to make us bad food. We trust that. We go to the store and we buy bottles of water, trusting that when it says spring water, that it wasn't just cousin Vinny that bottled it in the Bronx and put it in there, that it's actually out of a spring. We trust that. We drink it. We, we trust almost without thinking. We sat down in the seats today when we came in, trusting that the chair that we were about to sit in was able to hold the weight that we we're about to put in it. We didn't even really think about it, did we? We just sat down. It's there. It's a chair. I've done this before. My experience tells me I can just simply sit down. So trusting is something we do almost without thinking. But Jesus has told us that there is only one truth, and truth is a person. It's not a fable. Truth is not some 
ideological concept. Truth is a person, and the person is Jesus. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at this final statement of Jesus, the life. This word keeps cropping up in these statements. There are seven I am statements in John. And this word life keeps cropping up time and again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the door which leads to abundant life. And now he says, I am the life. This word life in Bible vernacular is zoe, zoe life. Zoe life is abundant, it's eternal, it's filled to overflowing. If you could define Zoe, it would be God's kind of life. And Jesus said, I am the life. I am not just simply getting by to the next week and I get the paycheck and make up on my past due bills. I'm not simply just getting by until this drudgery is over. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. I've always thought that's such a sad song. It's not biblical. We sing songs without even thinking about them sometimes. Just a few more weary days and then. Like what kind of church do you go to? This is new freedom church. We're happy around here. We don't have any sad, sorry religion. Because Jesus has set us free and because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us, we have eternal Zoe life. This kind of life is not simply just getting by. There there are a lot of ways in which you can look around and you can find people who are just existing. They're, They're trying any way they can to do the next thing that will cause them some happiness. Because things that they do on the external or things that they can put in to the internal will create a momentary sense of happiness, but it's not long-lasting fulfilling because there's no joy. We sang about the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is not happiness is your strength. Having the joy of the Lord doesn't mean that everything that happens to you, you laugh it off and say, well, that's great. It means that even when the storm comes, even when the waters rise, even when the fire gets turned up in your life, having the joy of the Lord says, I'm going to put my face like flint and I'm going to stand and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living for my God lives and he will see me through even to the very end. My God reigns. That's the joy of the Lord. There's so many people that are just getting by. They're just making it, just barely making it. And Jesus said, I am the life. We know this from medical uh, field. The, the people are, are asked about their healthcare directives. That in the case that they might become incapacitated, how would you like for your medical care to be handled at that point? People are asked that. You have to sign off and say what you want, what your wishes are. It's good to do that while you're still cognizant to be able to do that, have presence of mind. But the whole reason that they ask a question like that is for quality of life. What kind of life are you content to live once you can't function anymore like you currently can function? What kind of quality of life are you willing to settle for? 
And so I want to ask everyone in here that is able-bodied and willing, everyone who is watching online that can truly make a decision right now, I want to ask you a question. What kind of quality of life are you willing to live? Because there is only one fulfilling quality of life, and his name is Jesus. And you can have that today. Jesus is the life that's truly worth living. And outside of Jesus, you're just existing. You're just existing. You're just going through the motions. You're just filling up things in your schedule that hopefully something just around the corner will really make you happy. Something just around the corner will satisfy again. But without Jesus, you can't. It's not there. In closing, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. I know it's exclusive, but it's true. It's the only truth. So if you're here today, if you're listening to this message, and you're at the end of flimsy truth, in a self-made reality of your own thinking, if you're done trying to be happy with doing it your way, and you find that life, life on your own terms is oddly unfulfilling, then I want to invite you today. I want you to consider this invitation of Jesus because that's really what this is. When he starts out every I am statement, he is not arm twisting. He is not putting you on front street, but he has given you an invitation. With outstretched arms and wide open hands, Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life that you have been searching for. I know your true purpose. I know the possibilities. I know your aspirations. I know your heart desires. Jesus said, I am that life. All that you've been searching for, your entire existence, I am that. And Jesus says, come today. He says, come. He says, come to me, all you who labor, you've been working hard and you're heavy burdened down. It's time to come and receive rest with heads bowed, no one looking around, just between you and God. Will you accept the invitation today? The wide open arms of the Savior, will you accept the invitation today and say yes? Will you accept the invitation today of Jesus' way, the Jesus' truth? the Jesus life. They're going to sing. And in the quietness of your own heart, you might just want to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Dear God, I'm done trying on my own. I just keep messing it up. Today I repent of my sin. I turn to Jesus. I say yes to Jesus' way. I say yes to Jesus' truth. I say yes to Jesus' life. Save me, a sinner. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see.
Thank you, God, for saving a wretch like me.